City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. All right, City Limits, and we're, we're on a fourth Wednesday of the month. That means we've got uh, nothing specific today. We've got a couple of very good stories. In fact, um, I'm Kevin Healy. We've got... Um, Meg Kimber here. We've got Karina, who's very happy because the Bulldogs are in the finals. And Meg, um, you've teed up Megan Williams from um, from Friends of the Earth to talk about water today. Yes, uh, she'll be joining us as our first guest. Um, she's um, currently uh, in rural New South Wales and can talk to us about um, give us a basically a on the ground um, report about what's happening with water in the um, Menindee Lakes Darling River area. Um, but she's also, um, she's the river country coordinator at Friends of the Earth. So she's also aware of what campaigns are happening in Melbourne, obviously due to coronavirus, it's, um, uh, mostly online, but we'll talk to her about that. Yeah. All right, and in the second half, we're going to have one of our regulars, Helen Vandenberg, because in the last week or so, um, stories have come out about the CEO at um, the CEO at Cleanaway, which is the company that, that owns and the toxic waste dump that we've talked to Helen about for so many years, and maybe coming out, rising out of the story in, in the last week or so, it might explain why they've spent so little or keep trying to avoid spending anything on rehabilitating the place properly for the local community and the environment. Uh, the story is all about their CEO and the and the way that he treats other staff and um, a quite toxic culture apparently inside the company. So we'll come to that with Helen later on. Mm. Um, nothing to do with toxic, of course, but I thought I'd open up with an item, um, one of Australia's great minds, uh, Peter Dutton. And uh, f- following ABC or following two journalists, ABC and um, one other um, financial review, wasn't it, coming home from China, uh, he's he's warned foreign reporters. He says foreign reporters working in Australia face scrutiny from security agencies if they provide a slanted view to a particular community. And he says if people are here as journalists and they're reporting fairly on the news, then that's fine. But if they're here providing a slanted view to a particular community, then we have concern with that. And I thought, let's hope he doesn't take that to a further extreme and start applying it to the Herald Sun, for instance. Um, <laughs> well, we could have, re- we could have real do, trouble Kevin? back here. I know. Well, what would well, you read every day? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'd lose the form guide to boot. I mean, it's awful. Um, <laughs> Where would I do my crosswords? <laughs> exactly. Uh, just uh, another um Really interesting story, though. Um, next next week, um, well, there's a couple of things. Um, Friday next week, I think it is the the Narrabri reports going or the the decision on that Narrabri Santos one we've talked about, where um, the where the massive local opposition to it on the basis of fire and water and the artesian, the basin, etc. Um, that's that's due Friday next week. But of course, also next week, they start the actual public hearings for the Crib Point one that we've talked about quite quite a lot recently. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting development because they they had a they had a directions hearing last Thursday. And it was interesting. Um, the the chairperson of the committee hearing at Kathy Mitchell's her name. She um, has has sent a thirty five page request for for response to AGL, which is the company, of course, proposing the Crib Point floating gas proposal, which will import gas to Australia and and at face value cause enormous damage to the Western Port Bay environment. Mm. But the impacts on the Southern Brown Bandicoot and the Pale Mangrove Gobi are among 164 requests to AGL for further information. And 
she she says um, that in its work so far, and she's obviously read the thousands, and you mentioned last week, Meg, mm. the thousands of submissions, 6,059 submissions, mm. almost all of which were opposed. Uh, she says that in its work so far, the panel has identified issues key to its considerations. These include the impact on marine biodiversity, the legality of wastewater disposal, which is something we've talked about quite a bit, climate change impacts, the pipeline route, the risk of fire and explosions, and the overall need for the project at all. Mm. People are asking, why do we export gas and then import it, said Miss Mitchell. Um, this is a high-level summary only, and it does not include all of the issues raised throughout the submissions process. In summary, we see these as the emerging themes. So that's, I think, fairly encouraging that she's obviously read them and she's taken note of the the, the major objections by people in that part of the world. So it's a promising start, Very I think, as the thing gets going next week. Yeah. That's wonderful news. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, you'll be surprised to know, though, that one of the submissions that actually supports it comes from an old mate, the Industry Profits Group, the industry, uh, the Australian Industry Group, <laughs> As, uh, which is a, so that's the um, Innes Willock slot. They're supporting it, you'll be pleased to know, so isn't that good oh, news? Isn't that good? Yes, but... Uh, uh, on um, on matters like, like, did you have anything, Meg? By the way, I'm, I'm sort of raving on well, here. Well, but... um, I mean, only in regards to that we're talking about water today, and um, the Guardian had this article that I've mentioned before about um, water poverty in the United States, and um, a thought-provoking um, study of, of the, the rises in, in water bills in, in America and the outcomes there for people who are living below the poverty line. Um, just as an example, between 2010 and 2018, water bills in the United States rose between, depending on what city, they rose between 27% to 154%. So um, a lot of people are paying, are attempting to pay a massive proportion of their annual income um, to pay water bills. And in the States, they have a system where if you can't pay it, um, they can um, take, um, evict people from their homes and um, and then sell the homes to pay the water debt. So... Um, Got it. And they're private companies over there, I assume. Well, actually, interestingly, um, there's 53,000 water systems in the US and, and the majority of them are actually publicly owned and operated um, at a municipal uh, or city level, but there's a handful of large companies right. that control the profitable private sector. And it seems like what has happened is, so basically since 1977 in America, um, federal funding for water has dropped 77% in real terms. And um, so there's basically been, an, I mean, it is a kind of private sector mentality like governments do everywhere that neoliberal approach of, of reducing funding to crucial public services um, like water and then the cities and, and municipal governments don't have the funds to maintain them and they're therefore passing on that cost to the um, people. Yeah, there's been a number of campaigns over there too about their water sources um, being polluted by various industries and Absolutely. that sort of thing as well has been going on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which kind of relates to Yeah. Speaking of um, speaking of water, I just haven't done this yet. I'll just uh, there's a bit of water and a bit water. of tea. There we go. There's the tea. That's it. Right. Done. Yeah, that, speaking of water in America, I, I just in, in terms of climate change, just on one page of the aforementioned Herald Sun mm. last Friday, on the world page, there was one story, California faces more devastation from deadly wildfires mm. that have already ravaged the West Coast with strong winds and dry heat expected to whip up flames from dozens of out-of-control fires. Mm. And the story goes on with lots of figures. But next to it, there's a bloke standing there and flood everywhere and, and water and Hurricane Sally downed trees, flooded streets and homes and knocked out power to hundreds of thousands of people as it powdered the Gulf Coast states with strong winds and torrential rain. So you've got fires on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. You've got, um, well, it's still it's pretty much on the West anyway, but Miami and Florida with floods and, uh, and cyclones. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is from a, 
this is in a country where a president says there's no such thing as or in fact it's getting going to cool down he says it's mm-hmm. going to get cooler mm-hmm. that's very concerning yeah 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 Scary. But there's lots of pressure on us. Um, I noticed the a former French ambassador says that if Australia wants to really complete a, a free trade agreement with the European Union, then it's going to have to commit itself to zero emissions, mm. um, and, which is what our government won't do. Mm. And of course, last week we saw them commit ourselves, in fact, to more and more fossils. Somehow they've, they've decided that um, well, one that was gas and then a few days later they said renewable energy funding can go to researching um, researching putting your head in the sand with coal and burying it uh, so called which has never worked anyway um, yeah. and uh, sequestration um, at the same time so we've got a government that's running quite careless somehow they they also said that by all this gas they're going to do pipelines across the country funded by government a new gas power station uh, to look at uh, they're also looking at a at a coal-fired power station in Queensland to appease the National Party up there. Mm. At the same time they say all this will allow them to meet our Paris commitments and I would have thought an explanation of that wouldn't have gone astray mm. just to how that's going to work out. Yeah, it's some concerning kind of double speak, isn't it? And totally, mm. totally. Mm. And in fact, the one the one um, carbon capture and storage proposal they, or not proposal, um, project they they quote is the Chevron one on Barrow Island in Western Australia. Now we, years ago when this was being mooted, we interviewed a a, um, a geologist called Jilly Llewellyn. She had a wonderful Welsh accent, mm. but she made the point that on Barrow Island, the the geology is quite porous, and it'd be almost it'd be almost impossible anyway to keep the gas down there. But mm. thus far, it just hasn't been working, and they've had problems with it. So they're actually at the moment sending enormous pollution into the into the area of, of Barrow Island which is an absolutely pristine ecological area and this bloody um, massive developments there. They've also had a, they, they said at the start, everything would be perfect and all would go well. They've built, they even on this pristine island built uh, accommodation for 8,000 workers, which wouldn't help the environment a lot, I would have thought. Mm. Uh, but it's had, there's been cracks in, in part of the equipment and the unions say they're called kettles, and the unions say that they, the cracking is so severe, the kettles just need to be totally replaced, but Chevron is still trying to do it on the cheap and repair them, mm. but it keeps extending. It was supposed to come on, on track last week. It's, they're now saying it'll take a few more weeks. But again, it shows that these things, when they give us guarantees at the start, things can go so wrong. Mm-hmm. And of course, even the the so-called carbon capture and storage that was one of the arguments it put up for its environmental considerations um, isn't working anyway, yet it mm. keeps getting quoted as one of the great examples. So, yeah. Mm. So. Very concerning. Very concerning stuff. It is. It is. Uh, it is because we've got a government that doesn't care. Yeah, and that's what I was, that's what I was going to say, like places that are of incredible um, significance, not only just for the natural world, but also um, for the, all the uh, lives of all the animals and plants that, that are there, you know, and um, human enjoyment, of course, plays a factor in that as well. But, um, yeah, there's a, a continuing movement to just keep on making these places accessible to companies that are really only concerned with um, profit and resource extraction. So that's very sad. Yeah, yeah. Well, who would have thought headline of the week uh, also occurred? Well, it's, uh, you know, this will stun you. Um, Oil and gas industry backs Taylor's energy roadmap. Uh, What? Oh. Yes, yes. Who would have thought? Anyway, <laughs> they have. Well, good, good thing we know where they, where they stand. Yeah. Well, that's right. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, Labor is still making up its mind whether it actually wants to um, wants to support the gas thing or not. One would have thought they would have, from the outset, said no. But of course, yeah. 
they've got their own their own fossils in the back. I mean, it's what what we're really seeing mm. by the government is, if you want to quote a little a very bad poem about it, a little bad rhyming line about it, is it's a fossil a fossil solution to fossil pollution. That's what they're really offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So somehow somehow we can, somehow we can cure fossil pollution by fossils. Mm. Yeah, and we've had um, Han Orby from the Centre for Public Integrity in here before talking about um, uh, Integrity Commission federally, that there's no federal, independent federal body that overlooks um, corruption and collusion, basically. And, and there's a lot of uh, vested interests um, with, with some powerful friends um, in, in federal politics, isn't there? Yes, the, um, they, they seem to have a lot more influence than people like us, I would think, um, at those areas. Mm, it does appear that way. Yeah, the a mob called Climate Action 100 Plus, um, which is a, a, quoted as a group of the world's largest institutional investors, has written to Australia's top 12 emitters demanding they develop and publish plans to reduce their carbon emissions to zero. And the companies include BHP, AGL, Rio Tinto, Woodside, Woolworths, Qantas, the usual suspects. Uh, but they're, they're making the point that while they, when they talk about reducing their emissions, they talk about scope one and two, which is their own own direct work here. But they don't include scope three, which of course is the emissions created by the on the users as they send it on, like the in China when mm. they send uh, coal there for iron ore, uh, it should be included. And it's the, they make the point that scope three is by far the biggest source of emissions for the coal, iron, ore and gas sectors. And yet these companies talking about reducing their emissions don't include that as part of it. And I, we've always argued that Australia's footprint should include what comes out of what we export or what we take out of the ground and its use afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Yeah. The other interesting one is Qantas this week. I mean, we know that we mentioned last week that Qantas was the biggest single recipient of of job keeper money. Mm-hmm. Plus, it got other government grants as well. While it's effectively sacking about eight or nine thousand workers at the moment. Last week, it ran full page ads or part or ads, some full page, some not full page, in both the Murdoch and the Nine. Um, ex-Fairfax newspapers, Qantas Spirit of Australia, show your support for safety opening our domestic borders. Australians love to travel, the usual um, spin doctor crap uh, about how we love to travel and we need to. And so it's all about them making money. But uh, incredibly, uh, in terms of them getting money off government and, and all sorts of grants, also... In both papers, in the age, in the nine publishing, the Fin Review and the Age, this advertising space has been donated by nine publishing to support Australian businesses, and in the other one, it was donated by by Murdoch and News. And so here they are, still sponging on other people mm. in an ad that's essentially about them making more money. Mm. And even, and of course, we know they're they're virtually set the various states against each other to bid for the relocation of their 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 headquarters right. which means what they really want is the is the states to finance their relocation and presumably even you know give them even more of the of public largesse mm-hmm. and it even Simon Birmingham who's the you know liberal Minister for Trade and Tourism, even he came out last week and and said that the bidding war between the states over the location of its headquarters was a, a blatant appeal for corporate welfare, and that comes from a Liberal Party um, <laughs> minister who's you know who are not a, not opposed to a bit of corporate welfare themselves. <laughs> so it's quite amazing. But anyway, wow. so there you are. So in Virgin Australia was sold, weren't they to? Um to a new owner, Bain Capital. To a different consortium, yeah. 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 And they've closed uh, Tiger Air, which was their budget That's right, airline. yeah. yeah. Um, it's an it's a interesting time. I mean, in here in Melbourne, Kevin, I see all these empty trams and all these empty trains. And um, it's funny because, like, I think, you know, with Melbourne, we've been in lockdown for so long. 
we've kind of adjust. I don't know about you, but I know myself and the people I talk to are sort of like, okay, this is the new normal. But um, in this system that we have, like companies are having to exist only to kind of make profit for their shareholders. Um, this completely disrupts that. And I don't envisage governments going back to um, having publicly owned resources and utilities and transport, even though this is what this show is all about. Um, so I'm, I'm, sometimes I feel really stressed when I see these empty trains because I think what's going to happen to this is the, the private companies that are trying to profit from this um, aren't going to be able to profit. And what is it going to mean? Is it going to be publicly owned? Is it going to be, it's basically propped up by government? But how long will that last? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, of course, at the moment, yeah, we've got that, we've got that ridiculous situation where it's, it's, it's said it's privatised, but effectively it's rented out. I mean, we still own the yeah. infrastructure, we still own all everything, but we rent it out to these private companies under a contract. We'll check with John on our next transport day on the first Wednesday next month, because um, I, I assume under the contract they've got, they'll still, they still have, they still receive money from the government right. regardless and because yeah. because under the contract they're handed billions and they get fines occasionally for not meeting standards mm. but that defines nothing compared to what they get off the government to run it uh mm. now i i'm going to assume that that contract would hold even though there's no one or very few people using them mm. using the system mm. Uh, but we'd need to clarify that. Uh, that's just top of my head thought. But um, yeah, yeah, we'd need to clarify and I, that. And I, I guess yeah. it's kind of the same with the aeroplanes, um, with the flight sector. Some are closing, but some are receiving yeah, a lot old, of funding from the government. Poor old Alan Joyce and all his problems. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> he he did say last week it really hurts to have to sack workers. Sadly, let them go. Yeah, sure. Um, when, and I thought, well, I guess he's hurt. He's only assuaged by the millions that go into his bank account every year, <laughs> um, which make him feel just a touch better. Maybe, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor old Al. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR Community Radio. You can download this show and listen to it at 3cr.org.au slash citylimits, or you can podcast us on your favourite podcast app. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service 
and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Okay, back on city limits, and, and due to technical difficulties, the interview with Megan, Megan um, Williams from FOA about water will be now be next week. So uh, <laughs> midstream, we've <laughs> midstream, no pun really intended. Mm-hmm. We've uh, changed, we've we've changed the program. But we have got Helen Vandenberg, who we said at the start of the program we we're going to have on. And Helen, you're on today because last week it came out that there was a toxic atmosphere. Uh, around the boardroom and around staff at Clean Away Waste Management, which of course is the company that owns the Tullamarine Toxic Waste Dump that you've been involved with for so many years and the massive delays. Uh, but some of the things that arose out of that uh, that I found interesting were that there's been massive attempts to, to cut back on spending. And so... Uh, staff have had major problems in whether to spend or not to spend and it's resulted in them not maintaining their equipment particularly well apparently uh, for instance the trucks that um, the trucks that they use but also it talked about um, legacy issues that they've inherited now that one of those would clearly be your your tip but if in fact the the manager and the the CEO who has apparently been um, has been exposed as have, having a culture of bullying and harassment, uh, but he now says he's really sorry. But nonetheless, uh, it, it would seem that this might help explain why they've been so reluctant to spend anything much on cleaning up the mess at Tullamarine. Well, Kevin, um, the my information is that they've changed CEOs and that the person who was who was doing the bullying was not the CEO, but um, somebody further down the chain in charge of um, finances, I think. Anyhow, the point is we have had throughout, since the dump closed, we have gone through so many different people that we never know who's going to turn up to the consultative committee group meetings, right? And we are so Well, I've got some bad news for you because the latest finance bloke resigned last week as well. You'd be pleased to hear. <laughs> well, that's that. Yeah, well, I, we need stability of personnel because we find people who don't know the history of the site. And so we're wasting time at meetings telling them the history of the site. We have, uh, and when we um, saw the last horrible audit in which they had failed to do the monitoring. Now, they said in some instances they didn't do the groundwater monitoring because they had difficulty accessing the site. We haven't been able to get proof that they even tried very hard. And secondly, there were bores on their own land that they didn't bother to monitor. And we said to the EPA, they're cost cutting. They hate this place because it's no longer profitable. I mean, from 72 to 2008, it was highly profitable. Now, this is a company that actually lost control of the site for a number of years because the local community were so upset about the stench and the liquid waste and they had a very vigorous campaign in the 80s that the MMBW came in and managed and just for the younger listeners, that was the that was the Melbourne. Sorry, Helen. For the younger listeners, that was the Melbourne and Metropolitan Board of Works, which which was the authority in those oh, days. Oh, they were the authority for planning, and the EPA had only just been created in seventy two. So it was MMBW who actually gave the original um, planning permit for it. Anyhow, the point is, this is this this site has a history of bad management, as as what the community absolutely believes and has had ample evidence of over the years, right? So, and we're not experiencing good governance yet. Now, this is Victoria's largest toxic dump. It not only leaks heavy metals, hydrocarbons and hydrofurans, it leaks dioxin into the, as well. It off-gasses a number of gases, including 
odourless carcinogenic vinyl chloride gas. Any landfill will have fugitive gases. Now, this should be a huge priority for that company to try and undo the reputation of their, the poor reputation they have in the company, right, in, in our community. They're just regarded as cowboys, right? And they're doing nothing to allay our concerns that they are responsible managers still. So I think it's about time we wrote to the new CEO and put it on the table that we need a meeting with him inside, otherwise we'll have it outside his building after the coronavirus's restrictions are up. We've had enough of it. Mm. I mean, if they can't be bothered to do an audit properly and they got a very insignificant fine for it, I mean, they're going to have to go to the expense of doing another audit this year and next year. And the auditor says he hopes that if they have to do an audit in a couple of years uh, running, that they'll get the hang of it. Now, that is really bad management. And this is Victoria's largest toxic dump site. Helen, where is it exactly for people who don't know? Western Avenue, and I think the suburb has been changed yet again to airport now. It's exactly opposite Melbourne Airport. You come in out of the airport towards Melbourne and you go past these grassy mounds with yellow pipes coming up out of them. They're the bores, right? Now, not only that, underneath the cap, there is a gas collection system, right? It's supposed to gather all the gases and then they burn it and flare it off and release it. And we might be lucky to get four monitorings a year of the air quality. I mean, do tell me how much you can help reassure the community based on air sampling four times a year. There's 365 days in a year. Mm. We're not even entitled to continuous air monitoring out there. This is slack maintenance. This is slack Mm. oversight by the EPA and we've had enough. And now Clean Away have gone ahead and uh, have sold off part of the buffer land. They were forced to create that buffer land uh, and there was a big media announcement at the time saying, oh, you know, Clean Away wants to do world's best practice or and, you know, having a buffer between residents and the dump was the best thing. They had to buy out the neighbours to create that buffer land. And at that time, they promised the community they would leave that, that land as a park, as compensation for the hardship the community had received, right? Now, we know that because another member of the um, Tullamarine Landfill Community Consultative Group has repeatedly brought that up. Every time it's up for rezoning, this particular member reminds them and she had been on the Clean Away previous consultative committee, which ran for 20-odd years, and she was there. She was a member of the Upper Mooney Ponds Creek group, and she constantly reminded them of that promise that they gave the community. So they, they mislead the community They throw promises around. They throw them out the window like it's debris. They treat us with contempt. They don't monitor their leaking, toxic, off-gassing dump. And they just think, well, now we can sell off this land and they can put houses on it. The nearest cell is 100, the edge of the liquid, the first mound, that was the first hole that was there from the old quarry, that was filled with toxic... Melbourne's industrial waste, right? Uh, you know, Coot Island fires have been, waste has been dumped there. Now, th- that, the edge of that cell is 100 metres from the boundary fence. Now, if we're going to have, if MAB is foolish enough to want to develop that site, they won't be living there. They'll be selling off those buildings. And they're going to be putting buildings within 100 metres of a known leaking dump that off-gasses. I mean, where's the responsibility here to guarantee community safety? This is a dump that has an internal temperature of 40 to 42 degrees. Aren't we lucky it's come down from 52? This dump could still have fires. It could still blow up. The older it gets, the more dangerous it becomes. And, And it's in the auditor's report 
in 2007, he said quite categorically, the chemicals will continue to react. And so long as they're reacting, interreacting, the dump will be, there'll be continued pollution. And this could go on for 100 years. Mm. Is there any other site that poses a century of risk to a community, to Mooney Ponds Creek, Arundel Creek, Maribyrnong River and my creek, Steel Creek? The groundwater is polluted and we're not even allowed to use it for... We, we can't access groundwater in a summer or a drought time because the water is unfit for parks and gardens irrigating stock and they can't refill swimming pools because kids could be kicking up the water and that could be off-gassing vinyl chloride gas. So as a precautionary principle, you're not allowed to do that. Now, if the precautionary principle can be applied for swimming pools, why the heck can't it be applied for the community living within 500 metres of that site and why would you put more people and more complications between it? And on top of that, there's so many bores in that area that have to be monitored and the auditor didn't even have the sense to say, make sure all the bores are accessible on public land and that should have been a requirement. So we could be having the bores on private land and we could be, be and Cleanaway could be denied access to them again. Anyhow, that's the situation. So pardon my anger, but I'm furious and I'm fed up with that slack Cleanaway company. Well, Helen, you mentioned you know we're hundred meters or whatever from from the uh, site, uh, but we've we've done programs before talking about the high incidence of of cancers in the area, which is even the area around it. But that's much further from the site, so uh, if it's going to be that close, then those risks are, are even higher. Well, Kevin, we did a community survey and we had. Eventually, we had 144, and that number continues to grow. And we're told, well, you know, we don't have liquid waste now, and it's, you know, we don't have as much leachate going into the ponds, and that's not being, you know, uh, it's not being aerated, and therefore it's all safer. Nobody knows what the long-term risks can be, and the delay in cancers has been as typical with exposure to a variety of toxic chemicals, 20 to 25 years. So maybe they'll find out in 25 years who's right and who's wrong. The community says for the precautionary reason, we know of the existing clusters. We had five and I think it's gone up to seven now. And that's within 1.5. But the government and ministers always come back and clean away, always come back and say, oh, but the Cancer Council did a study and they said there was no higher risk. Well, the Cancer Council did what they could and that was a desktop study and they didn't stick to the 1.5 kilometre fallout zone, which we said was the boundary. We only did it within that short space. They did it for uh, by postcode and they went up to five kilometres away from the site. And we know you won't get any fallout over there. We know it's restricted. Mm. So this is a recent thing, Helen, of, of them proposing to... Well, this is the third time. ...sell this land. To, they've been trying to sell the land to the people, for developers to build houses on. Well, apparently Cleanaway's come to the conclusion that there is so much... Um, frustration and anger and disrespect. Well, you know, they have no reputation in this company, in this community, right? So when they come up and say, well, we're going to do this development, we just say you're putting profits ahead of community safety yet again. Well, they've continued mm. to do that. Now they just want to sell off and make money. And um, they want to sell the dump as well or the... Just well, they still own the dump. They're not allowed to sell that. They shouldn't be allowed to sell yeah. the buffer land. This is a failure of planning policy, a failure of, um, you know, I mean, and when the new EPA Act comes in, <laughs> that's been delayed, of course, how convenient, um, the EPA gets a greater say on planning, as does Melbourne Water. And that's something the community has been pushing for because we've said when the EPA is only a referral authority, they don't get enough, they don't have enough authority to say that buffer should stay. Under the, under the current scheme, you only have to have 500 metres between a landfill and the community. Um, and we also, um, what happened at Brooklyn Greens Estate, and that's for when it's operational. But the point is, a buffer land is created so that in upset conditions, there is a buffer between 
residence and a toxic facility or a landfill, right? Now, as the threat hasn't gone away from the toxic dump, it may be, according to them, less than it used to be because it can't be smelt any longer, but that doesn't mean that the silent, continuous contamination of groundwater is not occurring, and that's a theft from future generations. It's intergenerational irresponsibility. It's just gobsmacking. Yeah, well, it's it's. It, I mean, if you want to feel angry about them, if you the story last week uh, to show how much this profit is far more important to them than anything else, um, they say that Don, Mr. Bansell, who's the Vic Bansell's the CEO, who's come under pressure, who was investigated over his alleged habit of demeaning senior managers in monthly financial performance meetings, resulted in truck divers being expected to perform the same level of duties even when part of the vehicle fleet was sidelined or parked up for maintenance. Pressure to hit quarterly and half-yearly financial targets exacerbated this, employees said. This extended to workers collecting liquid waste above the limit imposed by environmental protection agencies, which would need to be stored in caustic plants until the company was allowed to process the waste the following month. Sources said employee turnover at CleanAway was as high as 30% and because of the focus on cost cutting, senior executives were reluctant to grant the resources to fix problems or to pay to upgrade assets such as CleanAway's fleet of 4,000 specialised waste vehicles and garbage trucks or to fix legacy issues in certain divisions and I say that legacy, one of those legacy issues of course is the Tullamarine toxic waste dump. Yeah. But they you know, that that indicates that they they're not prepared to spend money on anything except making a profit. Well, go and talk to the people at Ravenhall. They'll tell you that Clean Away puts profits ahead of public safety and community wealth amenity. You know, they've got a lot of things on paper about it, but they don't better you better explain Ravenhall, which is another dump. Oh, site, Ravenhall uh, is the is the um dump in um your part oh well, it's near uh, Rockbank, that part of the world. Yeah, well, all I know is that people from... Ravenhall is another um, landfill where the community are upset because of the, uh, the smell, the traffic and developments coming closer to it and Clean Away have been allowed to extend it and have above-ground mounds like they're allowed to do down in Werribee. And I believe it's one of the ones being in, considered for the highly contaminated soil from the tunnel. Mm. So that community's up in arms. But Clean Away doesn't care if it's got community up in arms. They're just indifferent to it. So long as they run a profit, they don't Some care. Some companies tend to just... Uh, run with impunity, don't they? I remember certain companies in Tasmania having that privilege and that didn't last. So I hope this is the same. I know you've been fighting for a long time, Helen, in the community there. Well, look, we, we are the mm. second group. The other group was the Tullamarine Area Link Community Link Environment Group, right? And they ran for a period of about eight or nine years and they shut down the liquid waste and they were putting health concerns on. They were report. Then in the 1990s, there were large numbers of miscarriages in the community and they were wondering if it was an impact from the fumes from the dump. We've put on the record the cancers and yet they soldier on and irrespective of the fact that they've had this terrible impact and continue to cause great anxiety in the community. I mean, you've got to wonder, why is it that that community has to put up with the airport, the freeway, the toxic dump, and now they're not even allowed to have 500 metres of green space between them and Victoria's biggest leaking toxic mm. dump. I mean, it's got 140 different chemicals reacting and 120 of them are listed as dangerous to health and the environment and have to be monitored. And yet that, as a community, we're only entitled to, you know, a bit of air sampling every now and again. Mm. I mean, you, you, people around here say, we don't matter. We've got about um, five to ten minutes left. If you've got any questions, Kevin, and I did want to ask Helen about the waterways. Yeah. Well, it it comes down it comes down ultimately to CleanAway being prepared to spend the money to do what it promised to do uh, when the thing was closed 
some many years ago now, but it, it just won't do it. And uh, Helen, if what what if they had if they were prepared to spend the money, what do you want to see happen? What's the solution? Well, really and truly, they should be made to pump up the groundwater, clean it, and then re-inject it so that future generations can have groundwater, so that the, the rivers and Port Phillip Bay won't be the ultimate recipients of the waste that's, that's going to be the contamination. Otherwise, this contamination will continue for 100 years. Mm. Now, oh, that's too expensive, everybody tells me. So their profit is more important than community health. Cleanaway's profit is more important than Port Phillip Bay, the Maribyrnong River, Steel Creek, Arundel Creek and Mooney Ponds Creek. Mm. Cleanaway's profit is more important than community health. Well, from Cleanaway's point of view, the answer is obviously yes. Um, but uh, I'm not sure the community yeah. sees it that way. <laughs> Well, I think it's, the, the, it's not just that, it's the yeah. ethics of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're talking ethics with clean away for God's sake. Well, every company's supposed to have a code of conduct. Every, com every company's supposed to abide by OH&S. Mm. I mean, you know, this, this um, expecting workers to do something different from what they've done has happened before because I've interviewed a person who was an apprentice at that site for, you know, the trucks that used to park there and he was ordered one day to go out onto the, the liquid waste pond and in a rubber sort of a dinghy and used a shovel to paddle it across so he could fix up a pump so that it can continue to spray the liquid waste into the air to aerate it. And mm. he had one kidney removed eventually. Now, that wasn't his job. Yeah. He was just ordered to do it and being an apprentice, mm. he did it. And he wondered later on if the chemicals came and said to me, Oh, with the chemicals, could the chemicals have had anything to do with it? And I said, well, this is what's in there. Go and talk to your doctor. Mm, that's really sad. And the other party, of course, I know you've been critical of them over the years, but the EPA, oh. I mean, uh, representing the government in, in, in real terms in this situation, one would expect... I know what the answer is going to be, but one would expect them to try to force this upon clean away. One would. That's the shortest answer you've ever given, Helen. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm going, I guess all we can do is write to the new chair and say, this is the situation. This is what we're concerned about. You know, with the new acts not into not in power, so the other ones being useless and, you know, I mean, you've got to look at the future here. You've got to say, what are future people, what are the current residents and future residents entitled to expect in terms of protection of their air? Um, you know, is a community entitled to feel that they're safe, that there's a safe distance between them and the dump? I mean, one of the things we've brought up for so many times is what, what's the evacuation plan here if anything goes wrong? Who's responsible? Never got it. You know, it's just like, oh, they're just whinging about clean away's toxic dump again. Just ignore them. They'll whinge forever. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you've got to wonder why one community has got a toxic dump that's so huge, has 140 chemicals, 120 of them are a threat to human health and the environment, and that community and how they think and feel and what they've experienced just doesn't matter. I mean, why is it? Why is it we're so expendable? Why is it that clean away can't be brought to account? Why is it that our EPA hasn't got enough authority? Why is it that the planning minister can't come up and say enough is enough, this site needs to be designated an essential buffer for community safety and finish the story? If I was the planning minister, I'd do it. <laughs> I'm 
sure you would. <laughs> I mean, it comes, well, your answer to the question really is location, location, location. I mean, there's certain locations where clearly they would act much more quickly, but also this sort of facility would not be there in the first place. So it's Exactly, Kevin, which is, that just proves that people with less money have fewer human rights. Yes. And we don't believe we have it. less human rights. We think we have the same human rights as a CEO of CleanAway. Who presumably doesn't live next to a toxic waste dump. Oh, he's welcome to live on top of it. Don't forget the first two plans that CleanAway put on top. The first two plans that CleanAway took to the Hume Council included using the toxic dump site itself, which then wasn't properly capped, as a development site. Mm. And the council just said, go away, go away. So this is their third, this is the third rezoning application. And it had better be. And that's the last going before council this week. Tonight. Then they'll advertise it. Well, tonight, Monday, as we record. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, we're getting close to the end of the show. Um, Helen, you and your neighbours and your community there have been working tirelessly for so long. If people are listening and want to support you, what can they do? We have a Facebook page. Okay. That's the best way. And there's um, there's an email, tttdag at gmail.com. I'm sorry I sound so angry about it, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Well, after all these years, I think it's quite justified to be very angry about it. But Meg, you're about to ask about the Facebook page. The Facebook page. Peter. What do people? You're on Facebook. What do you type in? Tell the Marine. Um, it is facebook.com backslash capital letters T T T D A G. And then in lowercase letters, INC. And what does that stand for? Terminate Tullamarine Toxic Dump Action Group Incorporation. Rightio. Helen, in about one minute, because we, we, we are out of time, but um, any update on the condition of Stony Creek since that fire about two years ago? Uh, all I know is that Melbourne Water's been working with the community and they're very pleased with Melbourne Water over it. And... I know that some life is coming back in the creek because there was a refuge um, area somewhere around there that so they're getting frogs and things back in it. Um, the community is pretty pleased with Melbourne Water's consultation and plan, so things slow down because of corona, but that's no one's fault. So mm. that's good news. All right, well, that's, that's a more positive note anyway. Mm. Well, look, Helen, thanks for your time again this morning and um, and all we can keep saying is good luck with it all because, uh, you know, clean away is going to have to be drag, drag screaming, obviously, kicking and screaming. Well, I'd um, like to know why they're allowed to get away with so much. It's a good question. Yeah, good question. All right, and uh, next week we're going to be we will talk to Megan Williams from FOA about uh, water issues, and also next week we mentioned a couple of weeks ago there was an environment statement um, advertisement for an environmental inquiry into a, a mineral sands project in Gippsland, and we 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 weren't sure whether it was an environmentally decent or not, but my my information is that it's a bit of an environmental disaster, and so we're going to talk, or hopefully we're going to talk to a, a woman who lives in, in Gippsland and is part of the campaign against that next week as well. So that's next week's program. Well, Western Region Environment Centre was liaising with the community in the northwest of the state, I think, because they opposed such mining for environmental reasons. Yeah, yeah, it, it does sound pretty ordinary. Um, all right, Meg, thank Karina for doing a magnificent job and, um, and we're back next week. Thank you, Karina. Thanks, Helen. Okay, thank you. There's plenty of specialist music programs to choose from on the 3CR grid. Explore the 3CR schedule online at 3cr.org.au. Yes, this is our vibration. Check out Music Sans Frontier. 
great voices. Music matters. The hip sister hop show. The heavy session. The Planet X radio show. Satellite skies. Shindig. Sweet dreams. Tune in to 3CR 855 AM on your digital radio or streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Let our music make you happy.
You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.